Hey everyone, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And in today's video, we are going to attempt to reframe how we view failure. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Lucas. Uh, if you haven't met me, I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church, and we are a physical location church located in Powell River, British Columbia. And so if you are in the Powell River region, uh, or if you're ever visiting, we welcome you to our Sunday morning services that take place at 10 o'clock a.m. every Sunday morning. We'd love to see you in person. But in the meantime, so glad you're here. Uh, we are gonna be jumping into John chapter 18, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but we're going to be talking about failure. As I said at the top, we're going to try to reframe the way we perceive and look at failure. So the, the title of my sermon here is Failure or Formation. Failure or Formation. Have, have you ever been judged and labeled by your worst moment? You know, the, the moments of uh, coming out of weakness or fear, uh, those moments when maybe you're just too tired to care about the consequences, and so you did something you regret. You did something that came out of weakness. It was a failing on your part. But then you were judged by it. You were labeled by it. People in your life kind of saw you through the lens of your worst moments. You, you know what I'm talking about? And, and these can leave lasting impressions because as human beings, we're kind of lazy. And, and what I mean by lazy is instead of investigating the story of another, we make pretty quick um, kind of judgments and we assume a story based on what we can see from the outside looking in. And we're so good at this and we do this very quickly. And in fact, at our basis self as a humanity, uh, we kind of love seeing a train wreck in other people's lives. You know, there's something that we, um, we kind of revel in the entertainment of a hot mess. And it's, it's kind of a broken part of us. It's a broken part of our humanity. You know, in fact, um, there's a whole industry of entertainment that's built around this concept, this idea that we like to see the de-evolution of individuals. And so we create these shows where we put people in impossible, high stakes, anxiety-ridden, relationally high stakes uh, scenarios, and we watch them just self-destruct. And it's kind of this thing that we do for entertainment. But there's also this funny thing that we do. When, when we ourselves have those moments of weakness and breakdown and failure, we justify it gladly, right? Like we know the story. We justify it gladly. We tell ourselves this story. I was having a bad day. Everything was against me. I didn't get enough sleep. I was in a hurry. Whatever it may be, we tell ourselves a story to justify oftentimes our failings, but we don't do the same for others. What do we do for others? We make quick snap judgments based on what we can see from the outside looking in. And instead of assuming that they have a story that led them to that moment, we simply just assume that they're horrible people or there's something defective or there's something wrong. And so we gladly tie our story to our circumstances 
but we tie other stories to their character. And today, we're going to be jumping into the story of one who over the years, I believe, has been unfairly judged and criticized. You know, this is a man whose public moment of failure tends to be the first thing we think about when we hear his name. And today, I want to attempt to kind of put the hard work in of hearing his story and, and perhaps shifting our perspective, maybe setting the record straight, and hopefully... We can celebrate not failure, but we can celebrate the formation of this moment because of the redemption that the gospel brings to a life. So let's jump in where we left off. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark led us through the beginning of chapter 18. And so before we can kind of get into this man's story, we need to kind of set the scene. What's going on? So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to John 18, verses 12 to 14 to start. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, would you just pause, go over to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and we would love to just get a Bible in your hand. You can get a digital version right away on any device that you're on. Uh, but also, if you live in the Powell River region, fill out the form there. We would love to get a physical Bible into your hands, our gift to you, and so you can do that right now. So John 18, 12, verses 12 to 14. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So here's what we need to understand about this moment. At that time, there was like a bit of a... Let's call it a high priest mafia that had kind of developed. You know, in previous times, under a free Israel, remember Israel is under the occupation of Rome at this time. Uh, in a free Israel, the high priest position would have been a lifetime position. But now, under the occupation, the, the high priest position became kind of a political um position that was important and strategic for the governors, the Roman governors over uh, Israel. And so what would happen then is families would kind of vie and position for and, and bribe and do anything they could to position themselves that they would receive this appointment. Now, Annas is a high priest that served from 6 AD to 15 AD. He became a master of this. And so his family he surrounded himself with people that would be put into that position. He kind of positioned different people. And so at this time, in this moment, it's Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who is now high priest, had succeeded Annas. And so Annas was kind of like behind the scenes, pulling the strings, so to speak. He was the real authority in terms of, um, and, and, and Caiaphas was kind of like the puppet, if that makes sense. So you might, you might say that Annas is like the godfather. Pardon the obvious pun there or whatever, sorry. And, and his installment of high priest was simply kind of his lieutenant. And so he made much of his wealth by doing some of the exchanging and selling that happened in the temple. And so it was under Annas that he set up this sort of, uh, really, it was uh, an extortion racket because it costs far less to get sacrifices 
um, sacrificial animals outside of the temple, outside of Jerusalem. But here's what would happen. He had his people in the temple uh, checking out these animals to see if they were uh, perfect or not because you had to bring an unblemished animal. And of course, what they would do is they would find a blemish. And once they found a blemish, that animal could not be used. But they would say, hey, you can't use this one, but we have these ones that are already certified unblemished and we will sell them to you. But it was at an exorbitant markup. And so we had kind of this extortion kind of racket going on. Now, you might remember a moment when Jesus showed up at Jerusalem and he went to the temple and he got a little angry. Do you remember this story? And he saw the money changers and he saw those selling sacrificial animals. And what did he do? He went in there and he got mad and he flipped tables and he chased them all out with a whip. And so here's the deal. He messed with Anna's money supply. He messed with the family business. You know, if you've watched any good gangster movie, uh, you never mess with the Don's money. So he's arrested in the garden under the cover of night and is illegally detained in a personal residence of the high priest where he is then illegally questioned. And we're going to get into that in a moment. So let's, let's, let's jump ahead to verse 19. The high priest, this is Annas, the godfather, the, the one pulling the strings, even of Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this thing, these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, what, what, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. William Barclay, he writes of this moment. The examination before Annas was a mockery of justice. It was an essential regulation of the Jewish law that a prisoner must be asked no question which would incriminate him. Maimonides, the great Jewish medieval scholar, lays it down. Our true law does not inflict the penalty of death upon a sinner by his own confession. Annas violated the principles of Jewish justice when he questioned Jesus. Now, this makes a lot of sense when you consider Jesus' response to Annas. He essentially says, don't ask me, ask witnesses. I've done all of this in public. I've done all of this in the synagogue. I've done this with tons of people that have witnessed it and heard it. Go gather witnesses if you have an accusation against me. If you want to convict me, you're going to have to find witnesses to corroborate your story and your accusations. So Jesus, obviously, in this moment, said it in a way that was a little bit like, 
um, in talking back to, you know, it's a bit of a rebuke, a tone of rebuke here, because we see this officer then kind of backhand and slap Jesus and rebuke him. And it's kind of like a scene right out of a movie here. You know, it's got, it's got like henchmen and everything. And everything about this is happening under the cover of darkness. It's ignoring the law. And it's illegally taking place. Even the question, the questioning, the lines of questioning would not even have been accepted in a court of law in the first century in the, within the Jewish context. So it's all pretty shady. So this sets the stage. This is the environment. This is the moment that our character enters. And his name is Peter. You'll know Peter as one of the disciples. You'll know Peter is actually one of the um, three uh, closest disciples of Jesus. So let's read John 18, 15 to 18. Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door so that the other disciple who is known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Um, I know what you're thinking. First question, who is this other disciple? Uh, Peter wasn't there alone. He was there with another disciple. The reality is we don't know. There's no way of authenticating or knowing for sure who that other disciple was. But the long-term tradition is that it's John himself, the one writing this gospel. Um, and this very well could be the case. You know, we know, we know that his father Zebedee had a, a fish business. It was successful enough that he had paid servants. And so uh, Zebedee was doing well for himself. And in Jewish culture, it was not uncommon for there to be very little separation between those of the trades and those of the elite leadership. In fact, many rabbis, they had trades to fall back on. You know, think of Paul. He was a tent maker, but he was also like a very well-educated um, individual within Jewish society. So it could very well be that John had this kind of relationship with Caiaphas or Annas um, in Jerusalem through the trade of fish. Uh, in particular, salted fish were in very high demand at the time. But, but John, John also had a way in his writing to not refer uh, his name. And so you'll notice, you know, previous to this, uh, he would call himself and refer himself as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. He wouldn't call himself by name. And so, you know, his writing style kind of maybe alludes that perhaps this is John, but we can't know for sure. Uh, other theories are that this is perhaps Joseph of Arimathea, or this is Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus came under the cover of night to learn more about salvation and this message that Jesus is bringing to the world. And they're both a part of the Sanhedrin, so there's some theories that perhaps it's one of them. But... We can't know for certain, but this kind of sets the scene. Jesus is bound, illegally detained in the private residence of his greatest rival. And 
This man, Annas, wants him dead. And it's no secret. And so this is all happening under the cover of night with Roman soldiers assisting the process. And all the other disciples, they have fled. They have run away. And here, Peter enters this sort of impossible circumstance. He's behind enemy lines. And, and it's in this moment and circumstance that he's confronted by this servant girl tending the gate into the courtyard. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, Peter, I am not. It's his first denial. And I want to argue that it wasn't weakness that led him to this moment. It's actually the exact opposite. It's courage that led him to this crossroads, so to speak. You know, friends, sometimes it's, it's our courage that leads us into circumstances and situations that are completely beyond us. You know, it, it, sometimes our courage leads us into circumstances that are just, we are left wanting. And there are times when our failures are a result of us daring greatly. So let me ask you, where are the other disciples? They've scattered. They're nowhere to be found. The only reason the other disciples didn't fail as Peter did is they didn't show up in this moment. They didn't have the courage to show up in this moment. Only Peter and this unknown disciple showed up. So let me ask you, have you ever failed spectacularly because you dared to do the courageous and right thing? Right? Like, do you hear what I'm saying? Have you ever failed because you were out of your depth, but you, you stepped into it? You went for it. This last week, I've been watching uh, the show called Alone. And uh, the premise of the show is, is it's a survival skills. Uh, it's people put into the middle of nowhere. And there's a prize for the one who basically lasts the longest. And it's interesting, you know, the mental, physical, emotional toll that it takes for these people to remain out there. Um, it, it's insane watching this kind of play out. You know, mountain lions, bears, wild boars, lack of food, bodies wasting away because they're not getting enough calories, mental and emotional decline. And all the while, they're walking around with this GPS unit in their pocket where all they have to do is press a button and all of their suffering, all of their turmoil will be over because a boat will come and pick them up and bring them back to society. I kind of looked into it. The longest a contestant's been out there is Zachary Fowler, who is out there for 87 days. And it's funny because as I was watching this, as I'm kind of watching these contestants and they're dropping off, you know, some really early and I kind of find myself judging them, you know, judging different contestants that couldn't, you know, a few that didn't make it a day. Um, and I kind of judge their reasons and their reasoning and, and for pulling the plug and, and all those things. That, but then I had to remind myself that they, they didn't fail. I mean, they didn't win, but they didn't fail. They're going to take the formation of that struggle, of that experience, of that breaking point, and they're gonna carry it into the rest of their lives. Their failure was essentially a result of their courage. 
They had the courage to do it and to go there, to put in the hard work, to go through the process of elimination, to get on the show, and then to actually go into the middle of nowhere with predators and lack of food and all the things. Friends, when we see failure as an ending, that's when we truly fail. When we see failure as an ending, that's when we truly feel. But, but if we see failure as formation, as, as laying a foundation for the future, that's where we win. That's where there's hope. That's where we can look beyond the moment of our failing. Now, Simon Peter, verse 25, was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now, you remember Jesus predicted this moment. He told Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter said, never, I will never, I... I'll go to you to death and to the ends of the earth. But in this moment, he denies Jesus three times. Now, this whole rooster crowing thing is an interesting kind of uh, thing to look into because there's a lot of debate on whether this actually happened. Um, we don't know if Jerusalem at the time was following the law, but there was a law that you couldn't have roosters in the city uh, for obvious reasons, you know. Um, but it was kind of a faux pas. It's uh, seen as a faux pas because people are going, hey, wait a second, if there's no roosters in the city and they're in Jerusalem in a private residence, how did Peter hear a rooster after he denied three times? Well, William Barclay actually brings a very interesting solution to this problem. He writes this, the Romans had a certain military practice. The night was divided into four watches, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to 12 midnight, 12 midnight to 3 a.m., and then 3 a.m., to 6 a.m. After the third watch, the guard was changed. And to mark the changing of the guard, there was a trumpet call at 3 a.m. The trumpet call was called in Latin, I'm going to butcher this so bad, Gallicaninium, and in Greek, Alectorophionia, which both mean rooster crow. It may well be that Jesus said to Peter, before the trumpet sounds, the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. Everyone in Jerusalem must have known that the trumpet must have known that the trumpet call at 3 a.m. When it sounded through the city that night, Peter remembered. Yeah, I just thought I'd put that in there for some of you Bible nerds out there. A little uh, nerd trivia. But before we get into that kind of third and final denial, I want to ask you a question. What motivated this final denial? As, as you read this, what, what motivated the final denial? And the clue is going to be, of course, in verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Now, an eyewitness comes forward. But, but more than that, it's an eyewitness that is related to the man that Peter had previously pulled out his sword and cut off his ear. And so here we have this very personal moment. 
And though the first two denials were kind of a fear of associating himself to Jesus, to the accused, this third denial was something slightly different. There was a fear now beyond just association, but rather complicity. And the fear of man, the fear of others, the fear of what people would think and do to him has now reached kind of a climax. In in Matthew's telling of this moment, we see that Peter curses for emphasis in this final denial of Jesus. Friends, can, can I ask you, how often do we fail because we fear people? How often have we failed because of the fear of people, the court of public opinion, the the perspective of judging others? How, How often do we know what is right, true, and righteous, and yet we fail to stand because we fail we fear the opinions of others? In Matthew's telling of this story, Peter hears the rooster crow whether it's an actual rooster or or the changing of the guards at 3 a.m. And he remembers the prediction of Jesus. And and Matthew writes, and he says, he left weeping bitterly. I know that. I know that kind of weeping all too well because I've been there. I've been in those moments of failure and brokenness and shame. And I'll bet you have too. I bet you can picture and think of the scenario in your life that would match perfectly to this moment in Peter's life. But, but friends, this, this third and final failure is not the end of Peter's story. I want to take you beyond the cross now, beyond the resurrection of Jesus, beyond the exaltation, the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. I want to take you to an upper room, to a place of culmination, this place of waiting, to a moment in time when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the waiting disciples, tongues of fire dancing on their heads, languages that they had not learned coming from their lips, crowds growing, witnessing this event as it spilled out into the streets. Many of the crowd were mocking them, saying, these guys are drunk. These guys are drunk in the middle of the day. And it's in this moment that a man steps up and he preaches the first sermon of the capital C church. He faces the mocking crowd with boldness and doesn't even blink. This man, this man was Peter. This man was Peter. If you want to read his sermon, it starts Acts chapter 2 verse 14. I encourage you. Pull that, bookmark that, and read that after, and just read that sermon. It was a powerful sermon. But this man whose denials kind of would have been known among his contemporaries, among the other disciples, this man who had had this kind of very public denial of Jesus, and, and, you know, it could have beat him down. It could have submitted him. It could have kept him isolated in shame. But instead, under the influence and the infilling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he preaches a sermon that kickstarts the church and a movement of the gospel message that has endured to this moment today. It's endured cultures and nations and generations and kingdoms and rulers. By the way, the altar call of this sermon saw 3,000 people repent and believe that Jesus of Nazareth is God. 
And I'm sure Peter could have those moments of denial back. He would certainly want to have done them differently. We all carry regrets. But the power and the good news of the gospel is this. There is redemption and forgiveness for even our worst moments. There is redemption and forgiveness even for our worst moments. Through his forgiveness, Jesus' forgiveness and grace, we can take our regrets and redeem them for his glory. Instead of failures, they can become formation. I don't know about you, but it's often in the places of my deepest failings as a man that God has used me for the sake of others. Your failure is not an ending. It's not an ending. If you see your failure as an ending, it's over already. But through the redemption and the forgiveness that Jesus offers, it becomes a formation and he can use it for your future and for the sake of others around you. So this story, I hope that we can reframe failure to formation because the gospel message shows us that redemption is available even in our worst moments. That as Jesus comes into a life, he can take our weakest, most broken, shameful moments. He can bring forgiveness and healing and build us back up where those failures become formation and they become a foundation and launching pad to see us walk in redemption, to see us as eyewitnesses that the gospel message the power of the gospel, the power of the cross and Christ's forgiveness for us changes everything. So Lord, we thank you for this story recorded by John and Matthew and the others. Lord, we thank you that we can see this story of Peter. Lord, we, we thank you that he did show up, that though everybody else ran, Lord, he was one of the few that wanted to be in proximity to you, even if it was going to cost them something. And Lord, I'm sure he regrets those denials. But Lord God, so often we look at this and we, we just see the failure. But Lord, uh, Lord, help us reframe and see the courage it took to be there. That Lord, his failures were a result of him positioning himself there. And so Lord, may we, as we take courageous steps, as we um, step into places of risk and even fail in those places of risk, Lord, help us reframe that that failure is not an ending. But Lord, it's simply a formation of what can be next. And Lord, that you redeem even those moments. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to fear, man. That you have overcome this world. We thank you, Lord God, that as we look to doing the right thing, in the right way, for the right reasons, motivated by love, Lord, that you will see us through. Even if this world condemns us, Lord, you do not condemn. And so, Lord, we pray and we thank you for the strength and the boldness and the, the Holy Spirit that gives us that witness of what you've done in our lives. That, Lord, you've taken our failures and you've caused them to become formation for the future, foundations of your grace and your love for us. And so, Lord, we just take a moment to glory in our weakness because it's in our weakness that you are made strong, that you reveal yourself as King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to reframe failure. That, Lord, you would help us bring our deepest regrets to the cross. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, for a restoration of relationship. 
But God, we also ask that you would redeem our most broken moments and that you would use them for the sake of your glory and your kingdom's sake in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for taking some time to reflect on these things with us. And I'm just going to turn it over to Pastor Marcus for a few announcements.